Hello once more, everybody. This is Ben Hopkin, and welcome back to Acting Without the Drama, where we keep the drama on the stage and in front of the camera and out of our personal lives. So, as you know, those that have been following this podcast, we have been dealing with the International Phonetic Alphabet and Standard American Speech. And I've gotten some comments back that have been very helpful that sort of continually say, you know what, this is really difficult stuff. This is a little confusing, especially if it's something that you haven't been introduced to before. Obviously, if you're not having trouble, don't worry about it. That's great. But if you are, don't feel like you're unusual or like there's something wrong with you. And this also, as I've expressed before, this is a learning process for me. I have been teaching this stuff for quite a while But I've been teaching it in the classroom, and it is a very different environment. And one of the things that I've realized is that I haven't done one of the things that I usually do with my groups, which is to show you where we're going. And that's actually one of the exciting things for us, to see where we can end with this kind of work. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a little moment, and we're going to have a little fun with dialect so that you can sort of see where we're headed. So I'm going to do a monologue for you, and I'm going to do it with a bunch of different dialects. I'm going to go through and change dialects every couple of lines. So this is something that I think you'll probably recognize, and we're just going to play around and have some fun. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles, and by opposing end them, to die, to sleep no more, and by sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished. To die, to sleep, to sleep perchance to dream, I dare to rob. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause. There's a respect that makes calamity of so long life. For who would bear the weeps and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of despised love, the law's delay, the insolence of office and the spurns that patient merit that the unworthy takes, when he himself might his quietness make with a bare bodkin. Who would fardels bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life, but that the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveller returns, puzzles the will, and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of. Thus conscience does make cards of us all, and thus the native hue of resolution is sickly door, with the pale cast taut. Und enterprises of great peace and moment, with this regard, their currents turn awry, and lose the name of action. Okay, so that was ten dialects within the space of about a minute and a half, two minutes. And that was fun, first off. I really enjoyed it. And hopefully this gives you an idea of where this training can take you. I have a student that I've been working with for a while. She's about nine years old, and we have been working on several auditions for her where she needed to do some dialect work. And again, this is exactly where I took her. I had been working with her on IPA. I had been working with these sounds. And because she had learned to sort of modulate her tone and be able to reproduce sounds, 
she was really able to get in and figure out those dialects, even though some of them were ones that she had never heard before. And I will say that with all of this work that we're doing, it's all wonderful work and it will help to train your mouth so that your mouth knows what it's doing. It is equally as important that you actually go to those specific dialects and hear them. Hearing those dialects, getting them into your head is really important. It's number one, it's going to help you to reproduce those sounds when you go to try to form those vowel sounds and change the consonants a little bit so that you can match what is being done with that particular dialect. The other thing that it really does is to help you with the intonation. There is a song to each language or to each dialect. And when we're speaking in that particular dialect, we need to mimic that song. That's part of what needs to happen. Uh, just to give you a quick example about that, the song of Standard American, we have a tendency to go down. So as we're speaking, most of our sentences go down. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It all has a tendency to go down. Whereas when you're doing RP, which is received pronunciation, which is what we consider standard British speech, that has a different song to it. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It changes a little bit. So there's a different song for each dialect that we're going to do. When you were listening, there was Irish in there earlier, and the Irish is very sing-songy. That's part of what we identify as the Irish dialect. There's actually some similarities between the Irish dialect and the Scots dialect, except that the Scots dialect is much more down and guttural. It, it has a much more monotonous song to it instead of the sing-songy Irish inflection. The Irish song has more of a sing-songy feel to it. It goes up and down. It's got a musicality to it. Whereas the Scots dialect is much more sort of a monotone. It stays there. That's the sort of sound you get with Scots. So that just gives you a little bit of an idea of what we're talking about in terms of that song. And that's something that you learn as you listen to these dialects, as you really go through and just pay attention to the way that people are speaking. So that's another thing to keep in mind as we're moving forward. So this is ultimately where you can go with this IPA work. And that was something that I wanted you guys to get. There's the fun part of it. You know, we've been doing a lot of technical work, which is all really good. We've been really sort of solidifying our ability to speak clearly, to make sure that we have a good base level dialect. But if we forget about the fun, then ultimately we just kind of get bogged down in the details. And... Remember that all of this dialect work is ultimately for what? It's ultimately to communicate. That was one of the issues, actually, that I had with Snatch, which was a fun film. But the character, particularly the one that Brad Pitt did, yes, his dialect was accurate. Yes, it was good. However, I couldn't understand it. And at the end of the day, there were things that he was saying that I wanted to be able to understand that I couldn't understand. And it made the film more difficult for me to actually get through. We want to make sure 
that we retain clarity. It's more important to be clear than it is to be 100% accurate. If you're doing a Cockney dialect the way that it's actually spoken many times, you may not be able to be understood by your audience. So it's important to make sure that you're staying clear in your speech. So those are just some thoughts and some ideas uh, that I wanted to put out there for you and just to have a little bit of fun today. Uh, matter of fact, if you guys want to go through and try to guess at the different dialects, see, number one, if I did them well enough that you can actually uh, identify them. And number two, see what your ear is like. See how well attenuated your ear is. So if you want to either email me or you want to leave comments on my website, definitely do that. That would be a lot of fun for me. So, just a little refresher on what we did last week, because what we did last week was tough. It's a difficult topic, talking about those mid-vowels. wanted to give you some additional examples that we could go through so that it sort of sinks in a little bit better. So, as you recall, we talked about the mid-vowel schwa, which is just simply uh. That nice little lazy sound right in the middle of our mouth, uh. And we talked a little bit about stressed and unstressed syllables, and also stressed and unstressed words in a sentence or a phrase. And I'm going to give you some examples of that just so that it sort of sinks in a little bit better. So if we're talking about, let's actually go back to this monologue that I was doing before, and I'm just going to read through some of it in standard American speech. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Okay, now out of those two phrases, there's several schwas in there. There's also a couple of schwars that we're going to talk about. Okay, now we're going to start off with the word that. To be or not to be, that is the question. That is stressed. You can hear that stressed. That, that. And that's the ah sound. That's the one that looks like the A and the E together. Ah, like cat, that. Now, the word that isn't always going to be stressed. There's times that it's not going to be. Matter of fact, I just said a sentence where that was not stressed. If you can hear it, that's not, and again, I just did it. <laughs> that wasn't an ah, that was a uh. There's times that there's times that we're not going to. There's times that we're not going to stress it. Listen really carefully, and you can hear that I pull back. I'm not stressing that word, and so it turns into a schwa. It's just an uh. It tricks our ear into thinking that we're hearing something that's stronger than that, but it's really just a schwa. So in this particular case, that is the question. That is absolutely stressed. You can hear it. Now, also in that phrase, you're going to see the word T-O, to. When I say it on its own, it's oo, the little lowercase u, oo, like pool. But when I say it in context, to be or not to be, if you listen closely, that wasn't to, that was ta, to be or not to be. Now in the spirit of full disclosure, I do need to let you know that there are many vocal coaches that disagree with me on this when it comes to Shakespeare. They're pretty much right on board with me for pretty much everything else, in terms of this to and ta thing. But when it comes to Shakespeare, all of a sudden, the rules change. Uh, they feel that it needs to be more precise for Shakespeare. And I, I do understand that. I believe that it needs to be very crisp and distinct and clear for Shakespeare as well to make sure that we're helping the audience to understand. But for me, when we stress a word that doesn't 
usually take a stress, we're actually drawing attention away from the important words. So that when I say to be or not to be, really what I'm doing is I'm drawing attention away from the important word there, which is the not and the be. Those are the important words there. If I'm saying, whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer, all of a sudden my mind or my attention is drawn to the two instead of to suffer and to mind and to nobler. Those are the important words in that phrase. And so for me, especially when we're doing Shakespeare, we want to make sure that we are not doing sort of a false uh, inflection or a false stress in terms of where those stressed vowels need to go. So I just wanted to let you know, my own vocal coach when I was going through grad school was a stickler for this. Again, I think that a lot of this has to do with training and tradition. You are trained to do it this way, and you almost don't stop to question. But I think we should question. So let's ask that question. If you like the two better when you're doing Shakespeare, then go ahead and use it. For me, it doesn't make sense. For me, it draws attention away from the important words. So I just wanted to make sure that I got that information in there so that you didn't get surprised when you're doing Shakespeare and somebody says, oh no, it needs to be two. Okay, and then moving on to the next phrase, whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer. Now we have three of those schwars that we talked about before. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer. So you've got er, 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 and these are all unstressed. Remember what I said about the fact that that schwa is unstressed in the same way that the schwa is. The schwa is just that schwa with the R coloring. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer. And that's going to be a different sound than what you would get with a stressed sound. Looking for a stressed example, we would say Mother Earth. Now that Earth, you can hear that stress. We don't back off of it. We don't say Mother Earth. Mother Earth. It's Mother Earth. So it's got stress to it. So that is going to be the three with the R coloring. That's the sound. And if we're going to make that standard British, Earth, it doesn't have the R coloring anymore. Earth, it's just going to be the three. So those are all of the mid-vowels. Hopefully that helps. And again, every single time that we readdress this, go through some examples, it will help us to sort of really center and hone in on what those sounds actually are and how we use them. So that is just a little bit of an example of where we would use those sounds. Now, talking about the schwa again, the er sound that's unstressed. Again, in the same way that we were talking about the schwa, sometimes it's within a word like father, and sometimes it's within the context of a phrase. If you look at the word O-R, I'm going to go to the store or maybe I'm going to go someplace else. I want some of these or maybe some of those. Now, if you listen closely, when I said O-R, or, I didn't actually say or, I said er. I want some of these or maybe some of those. Er, that's the sound. In the same way, then when I say for him, for these, for that, for those, I'm going to the store for now. When I stressed it, it became for. But when I back off of it, which is normal, it's going to be fur. It sounds crazy. I know. It, when we take it out of context, it doesn't make sense. But when we put it into the sentence, I think I'm going to go out for a bit. When you listen closely, I think I'm going to go out for a bit. It's not for. Matter of fact, if I say for, listen to it this time. 
I think I'm going to go out for a bit. It sounds strange. It sounds weird to our ear. I think I'm going to go out for a bit. It's even hard for me to say because we're just simply not used to stressing those words. So this, again, it helps us to really pay attention to what are the sounds that are coming out of our mouth. So again, some additional examples of the way that we use those mid-vowels. So next week we're going to talk about the diphthongs. And then at that point I think we're going to take a brief break and go back to some advanced vocal techniques, sort of get back in touch with our voice before we head into the consonants. We'll do a quick refresher on the vowel sounds, make sure that we go through those and we've got them really well defined. And then we'll go through the consonants so that we again can be very crisp and distinct and clear in our speech, which helps us with our acting. So again, my urging to you is to use this stuff, get out there and act. See you next week. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Acting Without the Drama. For more information and to follow my blog on acting, please go to www.actingwithoutthedrama.com. To contact me with questions or ideas, please email me at actingwithoutthedrama at gmail.com.